Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. So Thomas Kuhn, in about the 1950s, wrote one of the most noteworthy science books ever. It was called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, and this book really started the notion of a paradigm. And there's a lot in the book, but one of the themes that has been used in the past half century and more that is dominating much of science writing today is the notion of a paradigm. And the notion that when the existing world model or theory fails to account for the full range of human experience, a new paradigm is needed. And there's many folks that are um, of the opinion that the truth of Thomas Kuhn's conceptualization of this is proving more true with time. Uh, one of the problems, in fact, probably the main problem we're having with the current worldview, which is based upon scientific materialism, which we'll be talking about a little bit today, is that it does not account for the full range of human experience, as I said, and does not account for what we call spirituality, parapsychology, consciousness, the placebo effect, and in my humble opinion, it does a bad job of accounting for the physical world as well, as witnessed by many of the oddities coming out of cosmologists and physicists these days, which is another topic, but in my opinion, Scientific, scientific materialism is uh, seeing its better days. Now, materialism, as we've talked about before in the show, is simply the view that ultimate reality consists of mindless particles and forces powering a world without purpose. Why is this important? Well, it's important, among other things, to have the right worldview in the same way it's important to understand the rules to the game or the law by which the universe operates. Imagine playing the game of chess without knowing the rules. You're always going to lose. And I think that's why a lot of people have focused on this topic throughout the years, including the great philosophers of all time, such as Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Kant, Hume, Berkeley, and Descartes and many others. Since I started the show almost 10 years ago, there's been an increasing trend towards putting the doctrine of scientific materialism under the lens and questioning its, its assumptions. Through that time, I think, more and more scholars of increasing stature have begun, and in many cases, increased their efforts to expand our current worldview to one that goes beyond materialism, and in fact, goes beyond our current notion of science, and today, I'm very happy to have on the show one of the leaders in this field. His name is Harold Wallach. Uh, he is a professor 
at the um, Pazan or Poznan Medical University in Poland, where he teaches mindfulness to the international medical students. He's also a visiting professor uh, at the University of uh, Witten uh, Herdex Psychology Department in Germany, where he teaches philosophical foundations of psychology. He's a founding director of the Change Health Institute in Berlin. He has a double PhD in clinical uh, psychology and history and theory of science. Author of more than 170 peer-reviewed books, for, uh, I'm sorry, peer-reviewed papers, 14 books and more than 100 book chapters. His newest work, which he did for the Galileo Commission, is called Beyond a Materialistic Worldview Toward an Expanded Science Herald. Thank you for being with us, and sorry if I mispronounced some of the some of uh, of the of the names here. My um, my German is pretty bad. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. That's okay. Thank you, Philip, for inviting me. Hello, everybody. And so, uh, leaving aside the fact we had a little technical uh, difficulty, I'm uh, very happy to have you here. And. I think that those of us in the U.S. may not know a lot about the Galileo Commission. So let's start off with what is the Galileo Commission? It is a, a group of scientists that has been brought together by the Scientific and Medical Network in the U.K., which is a group that started with doctors and scientists that tried to uh, develop an alternative view around science and the Galileo Commission is just a group of high-profile scientists that support uh, the scientific and medical network in that and they have commissioned me to write this report. Okay, so what what is the driver for the need for this commission? What, what is your personal motivation for getting involved in something like this? Well, as you said, I think there, there is an increasing number of, of scientists in actually all around the world that are dissatisfied with the current, I would call it mainstream paradigm that is operative in science, which is uh, predicated on materialism as a worldview and pure empiricism as the w way how we look at the world and which has actually quite some problems. And so because that is uh, problematic in the view of many scientists, they have uh, started to bring this group together and uh, wanted me to write a report to succinctly just describe it and maybe develop an alternative view. And that's what I've done. Okay, so even though we talk a lot about materialism on this show, uh, why don't you give your own definition for the listener, um, Professor, so that we have a common concept to discuss here. How, how would you define, let's call it scientific materialism, to distinguish it from the economic version for a moment? Well, yeah, I think it is very important to distinguish two types of science or two notions of science. There is one notion of science that is common to everybody, which is the attempt to understand the world by using a good methodology and making sure we don't make mistakes that's what i would call that's what i would call a operational definition of science that is what scientists do in order to uh, get results underlying this is very often but not necessarily so a worldview which 
comes out of uh, the way how many scientists operated. And that worldview as scientific materialism is the worldview that matter, material entities or material stuff is the only thing that is real in the world and that we can understand everything else such as consciousness, such as values, such as uh, goals out of the working of these material entities and how they cooperate and how they come together. This is actually a philosophical worldview that has been around for quite some time. The uh, Greek atomists, that's what they are called, uh, they were the first to uh, use that. Then it has been sitting around in the history of science for a long time and has become to, has, has come to prominence only comparatively recently. It is a worldview that is very intriguing because it seems to bring everything together at a very simple level. And that is what, what is also uh, making people believe it might be a good, a good thing to look at the world in this way. But it is also very narrowing because it, as you already said in the beginning, it, it operates only by leaving a lot of stuff out of that uh, very worldview. And maybe it's important to also note the following thing. We cannot possibly uh, do anything, including science, without making assumptions. And these assumptions cannot be proven or uh, made plausible by the very system we are using. And that is a very strange structure, which is also true for, for science. So science has to make some assumptions. For instance, there is only matter that is real in the world or uh, the, uh, the developmental process that comes about through evolution is all we need to understand the world. These are assumptions that are being made. And out of those assumptions comes the worldview of scientific materialism. And as I said initially, it's very important to distinguish the worldview from the process of science. Okay, so I want to dig on that point a little deeper. But first of all, let's, let's just answer the big question, which is that is this, is this really just an academic exercise? Or why should the person on the street care about this? Well, I think the person on the street does not necessarily have to care about that, but science has to care about that. And science is very important in that it forms uh, all the narratives, the stories, uh, the, the belief systems that infuse our culture. And in that sense, the uh, person on the street should care about it because it is actually what, what uh, drives and structures our world. Yeah, and I think I think that's I think that's good. Now I would go I would go a little farther. I mean, there's there's so many levels to this uh, because looking at it from simply the scientific uh, perspective, and you know, you have read a lot of science books mm -hmm. more than I have, I'm sure. But I have read a lot of science books. I have a philosophy degree. This has been a top of a, topic of mine it's a subject of interest of mine for a long time i won't i won't date myself a long time and i i had all i have this ideal vision of science that is really maybe wrapped into the concept of a theory of everything this unified theory you know the thing that frustrated einstein at the end of his career uh 
where mm-hmm. he was looking for a theory to explain everything. And, you know, we hear, we hear from some of the science writers that that's ultimately, ultimately the goal of science. I think that Leon um, Letterman in his book, The God Particle, says something about uh, he, they want to, the goal is to summarize science so the equation could be put on a t-shirt. You know, one, one, one equation, one principle. And so from the scientific standpoint, the frustrating thing is that it is so obvious that there are phenomena that the current scientific theory doesn't explain. So that's right off the bat. If you're a scientist to me and you have a theory that does not account for things like near-death experiences, which is a good one, uh, the whole field of parapsychology, the whole issue of, of alternate medical cures, if it doesn't account for things that we know occur, then there's something wrong with the theory. So right off the bat, I think that is a real, that's a real problem. And I think that, you know, you, your book here, and I, I recommend this, this book, by the way, folks, it's not really easy to get. I think um, you have to search for, it's called Beyond a Materialistic Worldview. And the thing about this, it's sort of like a study guide where it's, it's short, it's only a hundred pages or so. But um, it really summarizes all these things, and it's focused on the it's focused on the the weak I think the the gaps in scientific theory, and you really do a good job of of getting to the core problem of these assumptions. But is that really what's driving um, you here, uh, Harold? Which is our current scientific theory is incomplete. Yeah. Is it- I think that's that's my major motivation. I think so science has has to be always true to uh, what we experience, to the phenomena as it is as it is normally called. And uh, if you have a scientific model that by default has to exclude certain phenomena from its theory and from its remit, then something is wrong, as you said. And uh, to me, that is pretty obvious that this is the case. And there are probably two different types of, I mean, there are many different types of people, but there are two generic type of people, some that uh, stick to that, uh, that belief system and leave out everything that doesn't fit with the belief system and say, well, that's irrelevant, or we don't care about that, or we deal with that later, or we don't think it's, it's even there. And there are other people who look first to the phenomena and to what we experience and then uh, to what the scientific model can make out of that. And to me, this is the more important approach because if important phenomena that people experience that are, uh, that are obviously there cannot be fit into a theoretical model, then we have to change the model. And that is what, what you uh, mentioned initially. That's the case when paradigms become stuck then they have to be changed. And that is a very complicated process because it's not just about a new experiment or adding something to a theory. It's about a fundamentally different way of looking at things. And by the way, that report is actually easy to get. You just have to put in Galileo Commission slash report and then you can download it for free. Oh, really? Download it for free? Okay. Okay. I have a hard copy of it. So it's definitely worth having, it's definitely worth having, uh, the hard copy. Yeah. 
The, and the hard copy is not very expensive either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's as I said, what I like about it is that it's like a magazine, really. It's mm -hmm. like it's like a magazine, and it's it's got a lot of great uh, references to it, and it summarizes it summarizes the um, the principles at hand very well in a in a very um, how can I put this educational uh, manner. Now, the the other aspect here that is really important, I think, is how much scientific materialism influences culture in general. Yeah. For example, and I'm, I'm gonna give you one example and let you comment it. For in the US, we have an incredible dichotomy between the respect given the, the orthodox client, um, scientific shows like Neil deGrasse uh, show on Cosmos, uh, anything that Stephen Hawking did, the late Stephen Hawking, anything regarding the, the orthodox science and how much respect is given that. And then we have these sort of oddball ghost hunting shows or, or uh, <laughs> mediumship shows, which are sort of, you know, even the folks that watch them, I think, understand that it's sort of got a lot of quackery to it. And so it's, it's really amazing how much, uh, how much uh, the differences between the, the honor and respect given the orthodox signs versus the, the uh, you know, the oddball, the paranormal, um, shows i don't i don't know if this is bad in europe as it is here but it's really a sharp distinction here how are how is that how is that in europe is it the same or is it, is it uh, it's difficult for me to say because i'm not watching tv so i don't That's know good. what is being yeah. <laughs> because so i don't know what is yeah. what is being produced there but what is certainly true is that there is a that there is a a, a strong cleavage or a strong gap between orthodox scientific views about the world and what normal people experience and think about it. And so it's almost as, as if, if you are an intellectual or, or if you're a scientifically educated person, you better shut up in public about certain things, else you are not being taken seriously or you're not, you're not seen as someone who has actually understood the world properly. And yeah. so I think it's here, it's the same is true for Europe as well, that the scientific worldview uh, has kind of conquered the public sphere in a way that uh, journalists in normal newspapers or in magazines are all, I would say, brainwashed in that way, that they, they cannot uh, touch on, on those topics that don't fit into that worldview. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I experienced that uh, in the same way. So what happens is this whole thing uh, emigrates, as it were, into a subculture, into the web or into, into groups where, where uh, it's not being handled responsibly anymore. And that is exactly what bothers me and why I think we need to bring uh, those topics back into the remit of science so that there is a responsible and open dealing with say spiritual experiences or parapsychological experiences or you name it. Yeah, it, it's it's very it's a very interesting phenomenon 
that they really deserve a lot of attention, which is in daily life, if you, and, and there are polls on this in the U.S. and I think worldwide, if, if you took a poll of the number of people who believe in some kind of parapsychology, whether it's synchronicity or the placebo effect or precognitive dreams, remote viewing, near death, whatever, the vast majority of people believe that there's truth to them, the normal yeah. people on the street, because mm -hmm. everybody's had some oddball thing. A lot, you know, maybe uh, the, the death of a loved one, sort of a, a, um, a feeling in your gut when something bad happens to someone you're close to. Synchronicities are just so cool. Uh, when they happen, then they're so bizarre, you know, um, those, those oddball coincidences. But then these same people sort of bow down to orthodox science, which basically says that those events are, cannot be true. Yeah. So, so, so we, really have, we really have a sort of a conflict here. In, mm -hmm. And I think of, 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 that's one of the reasons why I think we need a paradigm shift, because it may help us think a little clearer. It may open our mind instead of hiding a part of our experiences or feeling like we have to be off our rocker to think about, to think that some of these things are true. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's exactly the point. I mean, we did a, we did a, a represent, really a representative survey of, of German psychotherapists a couple of years ago. That was a PhD uh, work of one of my PhD students about 900 uh, psychotherapists really representatively sampled and we asked them about uh, their beliefs in uh, say supernatural things like religious beliefs or so and we asked them about uh, spiritual experiences and there is only a third of these uh, psychotherapists and they all go through university training that uh, say they do not believe in anything uh, beyond material reality and it's also a third that says we do, did not have a spiritual experience. Uh, two-thirds actually report spiritual experiences and two-thirds believe in some sort of uh, say transcendent or uh, non-material reality and that is quite stunning because these are not just Normal people, these, I mean, they are normal people as well, but they, they are people who have gone through the uh, university system. And the same is actually true for normal scientists normally. It's not quite the same, the same percentage. It's a little bit lower, but uh, a large group of these people are similar. And it's only through the distillation process in academia that they are top scientists who do not believe that. And they make their PhD students uh, conform to that view that this so-called scientific worldview is being streamlined and mainstreamed. But it is not uh, the uh, majority opinion, nor is it, in my view, uh, true to reality in a, in a larger sense. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you've, um, if you read Scientific American, but there's, there was an article written and it was probably about five years ago now, by Michael Shermer. And Michael Shermer is the skeptic of all things unusual. I know, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and he accounts in, in, this, in his column, 
and I don't know if you if you uh, heard this because this an account of this is actually in Dean Radin's new book called Real Magic, and mm-hmm. I, I had done a blog on it, or I I forget where I, I could have put it in my book actually, um, if I remember correctly. But in any event, Michael Shermer tell, tells a story about this uh, wedding, his his wedding night, where I, I know the story. That, that story, it's such an amazing story where this old radio comes on. Yeah. Uh, during their their wedding night, and starts playing this romantic tune from their past. Uh, the radio never worked before, and he he's like struck by this event. And then I guess the next day the radio stopped working. And it mm-hmm. his column was very it was sort of a it was sort of a honest heartfelt column. And then in reading Dean Radin's new book, apparently Michael Shermer is back to his old skeptical ways now, um, which he. He, even though it influenced him, he he still I guess he still thinks such things are impossible. I don't, I don't know. Even even if they happen to someone like that, they go back to the culture, and I forget who it was that said that. Um, and it and it could have been in, it could have been in your book where he said the the saying is something like, um, "If your job depends upon you're not believing in something, then you don't believe in it." It's something. It's some something <laughs> like that. Yeah, there, um, there are there are a lot of those those sayings <laughs> around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so it 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 really is maybe a cultural issue uh, that it's influenced you know, the, not only the schools, but the degrees and your grants and your reputation. Mm-hmm. And so it starts, yeah. it permeates the field. Yeah, it's a cultural thing. That's one thing, but it is also, I think we also have to understand it historically because yeah. science historically was always uh, at the forefront of the Enlightenment movement. And the Enlightenment movement had two major uh, issues or tasks. One was to free humanity from uh, the dogmatism of dogmatic religion and the other one was the political one to set people free from uh, feudal bondages from uh, what kings and, and feudal lords did to people. And because this is so strong, uh, the, the, the freeing of people's minds from dogmatism was a very powerful motive and that threw out the baby with the bathwater as it were because uh, uh, it meant leaving out religion and leaving out dogmatic religion is the same as leaving out everything to do with spirituality and and uh, paranormal experiences and that, that I think is the big mistake because one thing is the dogmatism meaning the ideas, the theories around it. And the other thing is the the human experience. I think you can have a human spiritual experience, for instance, of unity with the world or with other people or with animals or whatnot, but you need not necessarily uh, subscribe to a certain religious dogma in order to make sense of that. And that is, I think, the problem that with, with that enlightenment thrust, science has thrown out everything and that is uh, at the at the back of this strong refusal of scientific uh, materialism to even look at these ideas yeah and i think that uh, darwinianism is to me the classic example 
where yeah where darwin darwin was a really a rejection of religious dogma and and he came up with a quote unquote scientific way to explain i guess the development of life i don't want to say the origin of life the the development of life yeah and as opposed to the um i guess the supposition that that uh noah's ark was this was uh, lowered down from the sky so so darwin darwin is is still popular because he he is viewed as being sort of the counterpoint the logical rational counterpoint to the bible and it's amazing to me that those who are this is off topic a little bit but those who are still hardcore darwinians are still reacting against biblical dogma or religious dogma as opposed to maybe considering other approaches uh, to evolution and there's been a number of great books out recently questioning um, darwin and the whole evolutionary um, concept that he put forward at least the theory of darwinian evolution but the point is is that a lot of in my opinion a lot of what we see uh in favor of materialism is still a re a reaction against religious dogma i think yeah, so yeah yes that's that's very true and i think especially in the context of the united states it's also yeah. uh sometimes fundamentalist religious dogma one should say because for instance uh, within Catholicism, there is no there is no doubt about the reality of of evolution, and there is no there is no contradiction between religion and revolution at all. If you have a more enlightened or a more uh, informed way of looking at religious teaching, but there are certain fundamentalist groups that really believe to the letter of of the Bible that that this is how the world was created and i think that's one of the problems that there is there is actually a, a fight between bad theology on the one side and bad science on the other side and everybody yeah. and everybody uh plays along as if these were the only uh, possible stances in that discussion and they are certainly not because there are there are very enlightened ways of looking at evolution as a natural process that still needs some explanation for instance who started or what started that whole process or can it all be explained by 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 uh, pure random accidents and uh, randomness or not that's that's another question i think which needs to be discussed so i don't think there is actually a a contradiction between believing in in evolution or or thinking evolution evolutionary theory is a good theory and being spiritual or religious both is possible but we need more enlightened ways of thinking about these things and these um, oppositions between evolution on the one side and religious dogma on the other side are actually false oppositions they are not they are not really uh, proper ways of thinking about things yeah and that that's just that's just one example and of course the whole topic of darwinian evolution is a big one that we're not going to have time to get into i have been reading a lot uh recently uh on um on darwin um and, and his theory and of course over time there's been a number of fantastic books critiquing the theory 
But let me let me switch to something here that I want to make sure I ask you, and that is, what do you think science is going to look like, say, 25 to 50 years from now? I mean, where where would you like to see it go? I think the most important thing about about how science needs to develop is taking consciousness serious as seriously as something that cannot be uh, derived from uh, material entities alone. I think consciousness needs to be seen as, say, co-primary uh, to matter at, at the very least. And if that is done, then we will also need a science of consciousness, which is already in the making, and we need a methodology of consciousness, which is uh, something which I envision in the future. So that would mean uh, a methodology of um true introspection not just you know uninformed introspection but making sense of your inner experiences for instance when you have a really we well developed uh, way of of steering your consciousness you may be able to discover inner structures of the world say values or purpose or mathematical structures that is by the way how i think a good scientists arrive at their theories and that i think is the next step that is needed within uh scientific development yeah and uh, of all the i mean the top 10 biggest flaws of materialism of scientific materialism mm -hmm. one of the top 10 would be their why i'm going to call it wild speculation about how consciousness arose out of dead matter i mean mm -hmm. that is that is right up there with the Big Bang and the laws of nature. I mean, you know, I think in your in your um, report here, beyond materialistic worldview, and I think in your writing you talk about the hard problem of consciousness, mm -hmm. uh, David Chalmers, and the whole David question. Chalmers brought that up, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. right. The whole question, folks, and this is a big one. I mean, you could just, to me, you know, I, I'm a lawyer, but I say that law is glorified common sense. And I also think that science is also glorified common sense because you could sit, you could sit back and say, okay, look at this, look at the dirt on the ground, even look at the gray matter that's supposedly in our head, that's in our heads. How is it something called consciousness, awareness, subjective feelings? How is that going to come out of this dust? And, and I don't, and that's, that to me is more than a hard problem. I think it's an insolvable problem. And, and so, um, I would agree that consciousness is the big one, and uh, you know I'm of the mind that we, that science has it upside down. I think I think the consciousness comes first. I'm, I'm a uh, I think Descartes was right when he said that mind is the thing we know the most of or the best. Uh, and I, I I'm a I'm a uh, consciousness first person. So to me, it's very easy to 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 look at things from the other perspective. So, um, and also, the, the, the one thing that you do very well that is also for, forgotten about is the, and you mentioned it, but this whole concept of assumptions. And, you know, how, in, you know, philosophy, we, it's called naive realism. That's, that's what I, it's sort of thinking that the world is as it appears. The world looks like it's the world looks like it's a machine. Therefore, the conclusion is that it's a machine made of tiny parts. So well, I, I think 
Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting you. Okay. I think the point is we bring to the world the view that it is a machine, and that's yeah. why we see it as a machine. Yeah, but if we point. look at it differently, that's we will see different things. I think yeah. that's very important. Yeah. Well, well, you're exactly right, and you know, most most folks go back to Newton for for this and the whole question about um, the whole issue of you know he looks at the a regular operating world and he applies laws the laws work and therefore maybe you could explain the entire universe as the interplay of particles and forces and yeah. that's that's sort of what we're still doing now yeah all right i mean and um, and we you know and we talked about this whole thing about parapsychology there's a passage that i use all the time in um, Steven Weinberg's book, the, uh, the Dreams of a the Final Theory, where he, where he basically says, well, uh, telepathy can't work because we don't see any particles being exchanged between different brains. Yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly right. There are no particles being exchanged between brains. So therefore, it must be something other than a particle. So, exactly. <laughs> so it really, it, really is, it really is amazing. So I think we have come to the end it, and it's gone by very quickly here and I'm I'm gonna have you I'm gonna give you a chance to say a couple of things about about uh, anything you'd like to say but also about how to get in touch with your work but I, I want to really emphasize to the listener that you should really look up the Galileo Commission I would say it's got to be one of the leading organizations in the world on this post materialistic worldview and uh, again, many folks have sort of bet their careers that there will be a new worldview and that this is where things are heading. And if you really want to see scholarship, this is a, this is a good place to start. So, so Harold, uh, why, don't you, why don't you give some final comments, uh, thoughts, or something you'd like to tell a listener about yourself or the Galileo Commission or anything we've talked about? Yeah, well... I think one thing that is very important about the whole thing is we we cannot but look at the world according to certain frameworks and models. Currently, we are using the Newtonian model. We are looking at the world as a machine. We are even looking at ourselves as machines. And if we change that view, we will also see different things. And the, the way how to change these views is to constantly demolish uh, the dogmas that we are setting up within ourselves by training, by what we get from our culture. And the way to do that is just a regular practice of what I call a culture of consciousness, sitting down and meditating half an hour each day. Similar to how we go to the bathroom half an hour each day for cleaning our hands, washing our, ourselves, showering and so forth. I think we should be taking the same time and the same effort to also cleaning our minds and then we will be able to see different things and we will be able to uh, have a different experience of the world and suddenly the worldview will also change i think that's the most important thing yeah i think i think that not only in my own opinion not only is this an intellectual endeavor it's also an emotional endeavor exactly mm -hmm. in that in that we're not just talk i mean myself so just speak for myself this is not just something that is sort of a um a mind bender or or a intellectual endeavor 
it is ultimately a a way to live a fuller life and to um, open your mind not only to the possibilities of life but the possibilities of the future and so it, it really has a therapeutic effect and i think that's a health effect a, a, a mindfulness effect and that's yeah. i think the power the power of this way of thinking uh, this is philip camella this is conversations beyond science and religion harold thank you very much for your time get his book uh, from the Galileo Commission. The book again is Beyond a Materialistic Worldview Towards an Expanded Science. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camilla. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.